Some books are like Marmite, this book is more like dog shit. It's not often that I genuinely detest a book. Something like J.B. Priestley's An Inspector Calls made me angry because there wasn't even a hint of an interesting idea anywhere in it. But Audrey Niffenegger's novel The Time Traveler's Wife makes me livid because it's such an intriguing idea that is ruined by atrocious characters, cringeworthy dialogue, and glorified pedophilia. I'd known about the book for a while but hadn't had much interest in ever picking it up. Then a few months ago I heard that Stephen Moffat was adapting a version of the story for HBO Max, and I will happily admit that I like Moffat's writing, Sherlock and Doctor Who were both good, for the most part, and I trusted that Moffat would be able to adapt a book about time travel, given his track record. I was right, the TV show is better than the book, but it still suffers from many of the same problems because they are inescapable plot points. It's also not finished either so while I can judge it, it still has a few episodes to go, if it's renewed for a series too. It's often not fair to criticize a story based only on the adaptation as many things are cut out or rushed to fit a shorter run time and given that I had recently come into a large amount of free time, I thought it best to subject myself to all three versions of the story. That being the book, the film, and the aforementioned TV show. It was not a fun experience, but I've done it, so you don't have to. And be warned, this is full of spoilers so if you really want to read about a nymphomaniac time-traveling pedophile and his communist wife then click off now. Let's start with the titular time-traveler's wife, Claire Abshire, a woman who gives redheads all over the world a bad name. Our introduction to Claire comes as she enters a library and asks for some rare books on paper manufacturing, just your typical romance novel protagonist. Sure, it's interesting to give the protagonist a different job to the norm but it doesn't make her particularly relatable. Her world is pretty far from our own already and it's only about to get weirder. Here's some interesting facts about Claire. She is a lapsed Catholic, she's rich, ginger and she's incredibly annoying. This is particularly obvious in the film where Rachel McAdams plays her as this kind of pixie dream girl meandering through life with no aim. In the book it's her entitlement that makes her annoying. She has servants and lives in a huge house with 20-plus rooms and doesn't seem to notice that this is a little odd. Her inherent unlikability is emphasized by one line towards the middle, she's about to get married and her first thought about her dress is it's so large I could hide 10 midgets under it. This line is most confusing because she never speaks like this ever again. Claire's family is a big part of the novel they are intrinsically linked to the plot in a number of ways and the book remembers they exist which is more than can be said for the film, which just seems to ignore anything that isn't romantic. In the movie Claire's family appear at the wedding for just one scene and then disappear. This speaks more to the fact that the film has to rush through everything and less to the actual plot. In the TV show, Moffat just ignores the fact that Claire has any depth until it becomes absolutely necessary. Which saves time and significantly speeds up the story, something I'm intensely grateful for, however it leaves the character of Claire feeling a little half-baked. There are things that redeem Claire as a character later on the book, she has a number of miscarriages, and these fundamentally change her outlook and as a reader we understand how she feels because half the novel is narrated by her. The biggest problem with Claire's character in the film and TV show is that she doesn't have her own voice and becomes a facilitator for the plot. Obviously, all writers use their characters as tools to progress the plot, but it feels so obvious when Claire's backstory is only told through its relationship with Henry's time travel. I know that the point is to show how Claire is incomplete without Henry, but her arc is that she changes. The book at least understands this and tries to show a difference between beginning Claire and end Claire. But because she is so passive in all versions of the story, she doesn't feel real enough for the reader to want her to change. Moffat successfully does this narrative arc in Sherlock. He takes Sherlock from a self-obsessed, grandiose, and unapproachable man and changes him into a more relatable and empathetic character over the course of the show. 
but it only works because we spend enough time with Sherlock before and during the arc so that it all feels earned. There's a reason that Claire isn't the main character in her own story and that's because she isn't as handsome, interesting, or perverse as Henry de Tamble. I'm not sure I've ever met a fictional protagonist I hate more. He's a sexist, creepy pedophile with no redeeming qualities, the only thing that changes from beginning to end is his marital status and subsequent monogamity, if you don't count sleeping with numerous versions of his wife at different points of his life. I like to think that this is a deliberate choice because lots of stories feature extremely unlikable protagonists. I presume the idea is to establish that even though Henry is horrible, Claire doesn't and can't know any better, that she is trapped with him. Which makes the novel much darker than it was on the surface. But I don't think I'm being fair, I haven't told you very much about Henry, I've just told you that he gives the male sex a bad name, let me prove it to you. When Henry meets a woman, he immediately makes reference to her breasts, hair, and bottom within his initial assessment. This implies, I think, that he fully circles every woman he meets, and if that doesn't make him creepy, I don't know what does. He consistently uses the term we fk instead of we have sex. This seems small but it is an unnecessary use of a swear word and it comes across derogatory and rude. Any man who says, even ironically, I've always wanted to be a lesbian should be shot. The definition of asshole is anyone who has ever thought or said that. With just one line Niffenegger destroys any kind of suspension of disbelief the reader may have and immediately makes them question how Claire can ever have put up with him. He used his power of time travel to have sex with a 16-year-old version of himself, because who wouldn't? The one thing the film improves upon is cutting this out. There's one more thing about Henry that makes him so utterly unlikable, but it's an intrinsic part of the story and can't be explored on its own. But he isn't all bad otherwise Claire wouldn't have fallen in love with him. Well, at least not in the book because in the book he is given time to be explored. We meet his parents, witness the death of his mother, and are introduced to his previous girlfriends. There's a reason for this, it creates a separation between Claire and Henry. He exists without her, at least in the beginning and by the end their roles are reversed just enough that we feel sorry for him before he dies. Sadly, neither the film nor the TV show is accurately able to present this. The film is far too short to present any kind of family for either of them and not enough time is given towards the end for any emotional conclusions to either arc. The TV show can be forgiven slightly as it doesn't finish the story, but Henry's past is so poorly defined that his arc falls flat. His promiscuity is a lazy way of showing that his life was full long before Claire entered it, but it's the worst possible way to make that point as it doesn't make him likable. I would forgive all of Henry's aforementioned shortcomings if being with Claire was shown to have actually changed him. The problem is that that simply doesn't happen he only becomes slightly less bad. Our view of Henry and Claire is one that encompasses their whole lives, in the case of Henry this establishes the bonds he has with family members and close friends and adds real weight when he experiences loss. The film handles this very differently adding emphasis in a different way and the TV show doesn't devote anywhere near enough time to it to make it work. When an entire page of notes is simply dedicated to pedophilia slash grooming you know that something is really wrong. The first couple of hundred pages of The Time Traveler's Wife are poorly judged, crude, and creepy. Not only is the subject matter horrendously glorified it leaves such a bitter taste in the mouth of the reader that they are physically unable to enjoy the rest of the book. This is the biggest problem with the book, if the first couple of hundred pages weren't so poorly judged, the book would be much more universally enjoyed. Despite my comments at the start, I do think this book has merit. It's a really interesting twist on the time travel idea, however we could have done with a tiny bit less of the grooming though. Henry de Tamble can time travel, I can't remember if I explained that already but if not there you go. It's an involuntary thing which he likens to epilepsy, 
He's drawn to people and places in the past that are important to him in the present, hence why he visits Claire as a young girl. The other problem is that when he arrives, he can't bring anything with him, so no clothes. His death is foreshadowed almost from the moment we meet him. Every time he arrives somewhere he mentions how difficult it might be for him to escape and after a while it becomes boring. When Claire is very young Henry acts as more of a father-slash-big brother, teaching her French and chess. Okay it's a little bit creepy but Henry very carefully refuses to let anything happen. Something that is also present in the TV adaptation. The film completely avoids any controversy by only having one scene between Henry and young Claire. This isn't great as the whole point of Henry meeting Claire in the past is that she falls in love with him. I hope I've made that clear. Moffat clearly shows that Henry finds talking to Claire weird. He also remembers to make Claire find it weird, but less so. The big distinction between show and book is that in the show there is no line like while trying to ignore painful hardens. Yes, this an actual thought from Henry when talking to the 16-year-old Claire, it makes his feelings abundantly clear. In both the book and the TV show Claire is very ahem voracious. At 15 she decides to abuse the power she has over Henry when he appears naked. She refuses to give him his clothes unless he has sex with her. In response he walks away from her. However, in both adaptations he does have sex with her on her 16th birthday. While this is allowed by law it does seem a little immoral. In the TV show it is clear that he is reluctant to do anything at first and, while that isn't an excuse, it's better than the book in which he simply jumps at the chance. Moffat knows that this part of the book is problematic, he even calls it out when Henry says that it's grooming. And I commend him for that because juggling this topic is difficult but what isn't commendable is Claire's god-awful response, I groomed you. It's creepy and makes light of a serious issue. The dialogue may be clunky but the message behind it is the right one. At no point in Moffat's script is Henry in love with child Claire, child Claire is in love with Henry. It's what Niffenegger was going for in her book but it's a hard line to skirt and she just couldn't do it. The book takes a very different turn. Henry is quite clearly falling in love with the much younger Claire I take her feet into my lap. He even goes so far as to say that felt reasonably natural after having kissed her. The relationship is reciprocated by both parties. At one point they both go swimming, Claire is described as wearing a bikini and Henry, well Henry can't take swimming trunks into the past. Henry often seems to use young Claire for a respite from contemporary Claire and after a particularly rough day in the present he forgets himself and kisses her. To which he says, I can't believe it what an idiot I am. He's just kissed a 15-year-old girl, but his problem isn't that she was too young it's that it wasn't a good enough kiss, so he does it again. The final nail in the coffin is this line from Claire it wasn't like you'd be raping me, because I was totally asking for it. Not only does this exemplify Claire's naivete but it makes Henry into a much worse character for allowing it to go ahead. The whole idea of the two characters falling in love in reverse order due to time travel is a good one but it is executed poorly in the novel. Henry falls in love with Claire in the present because she finds him and woos him. He likes her because it's already happened and because he is quite easily swayed. Claire falls in love with the older Henry because he is always around, it's less the person and more the idea of him that she's interested in. The only reason she loves him is because he was changed by her loving him, and around we go again. Henry falls in love with the present-day Claire, and she falls in love with the version she met in the past. The love story falls down when the two start to love each other as people and not ideas of people. Later on in the story, Henry changes his hair and his actions to appease Claire. The Henry we are introduced to wouldn't and couldn't love anybody other than present-day Claire and so it feels out of character, unnecessary and creepy when he starts to fall for a child. The idea can work, as Moffat proves, but only if the character of Henry remains consistently characterized throughout. 
Henry's story is linear, so his changes must remain consistent. Claire, on the other hand, can chop and change because we meet her in such a random order. What I'm trying to explain is that the idea of Claire meeting and falling in love with future Henry works. But not only is it a difficult thing to get right it can lead to unnecessary problems. A lot of Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who scripts borrow heavily from Niffenegger's ideas, a young ginger girl called Amy Pond meets a time traveler from the future. He returns when she is much older, and she has developed an obsession with him that is hyper-sexualized. A lot of criticism was leveled at Moffat when this was first on TV as Amy's behavior towards the doctor seemed to be a little too risque for pre-watershed viewing and she completely abandoned her fiancé on the eve of their wedding. She, like Claire, became so infatuated with this time traveler that she desperately wanted to be with him. The difference is that the character of the doctor has no interest in her at all, and while she fell in love with an adult man from the future she never attempted to act on those feelings as a child. The idea of an illicit dream of something that shouldn't be possible remains, but the creepier aspects of the pedophilic love affair are scrapped. As a result, the audience starts the main plot of the story with exactly the same knowledge they do in Time Travelers, except they haven't been put off by its awkward, clunky, and creepy opening. Phew, I've written almost four pages and not even got into the plot yet. But that was somewhat deliberate as I wanted to show how the reader feels when suffering through this book's incredibly slow first few hundred pages. The plot ambles on at a slow pace, but it's a contemplative one and I'm happy to say that it felt unique. Most time travel stories have world-ending stakes and have to rip along in order to fit everything in. Because the crux of this story is the relationship between Henry and Claire the plot can focus on character and relationships. While no version of the story ever stops to explain how Henry's time travel actually works, there are defined rules we learn about in the course of the story. Adding in these rules organically leaves an audience much more receptive and because the plot doesn't grind to a halt to explain them, we stay engaged. Henry never travels with anything but himself, he never leaves any part of him behind, not even blood, and when he's stressed, he time travels more. Many of Henry and Claire's interactions occur in the meadow behind Claire's house. The meadow is her secret place somewhere she can escape from her family, the father-slash-son hunting trips in the huge forest behind the house, and just everyday life in general. She keeps note of all Henry's visits in a diary he gave to her after she gave it to him. But as Claire begins to mature their meetings evolve from lessons in languages, maths, and science to more mature conversations and ideas. One of the most powerful parts of the story happens quite early on when Claire asks Henry to kill someone for her. Henry agrees to do this because he trusts her implicitly. This tells us three things very quickly and easily, it says that Claire sees Henry as something she can use, it shows that the bond between Claire and Henry is strong but crucially it shows us that Henry is quite willing to kill. He's been toughened by time travel, and he has fewer qualms about doing something like this than a normal man would. Like the reader, Henry doesn't know who it is that has angered Claire in this way, he also doesn't know how. Eventually we learn that Claire has been sexually assaulted by a teenager called Jason. The way the reveal is handled makes it all the more shocking, it emphasizes the horrendous atrocity and immediately explains why Claire has been acting so on edge. Henry is angry, really angry, his deep love for Claire makes him dangerous. They kidnap him from his house and tie him to a tree, in the book they remove his clothes as well. Once again we see most of this event from Henry's perspective which feels wrong given that he wasn't the one who was assaulted. Claire decides to write a description of the assault on Jason's bonds and encourages the other girls in her year to visit him and do the same. It becomes one of Claire's first real art pieces. The TV show is content to leave the whole thing there, but the book shows us the corridors of the school the next morning, we see that Claire has a life outside Henry and that what happened the night before had a real impact on them. However, Claire is worried because Henry really seemed to enjoy beating up Jason. 
Through Henry's own thought processes it's clear he doesn't see it as being vindictive merely that he is avenging his wife, yet it seeds doubt amongst Claire and the reader. But, as with almost every other scene that may have been impactful in any version of the story, it is ruined eventually. The film doesn't even acknowledge this scene which is a shame but the final line of dialogue in this episode of the TV show is you don't admit a monster was the first man inside you when you're talking to the man it should have been. All I wrote in my notes in response to that was WTF, not only is the dialogue cringeworthy it seems to gloss over the assault entirely. It tells us that Claire is so obsessed by Henry that the problem with being assaulted by Jason wasn't the loss of privacy, innocence, or personal freedom, but the fact that he wasn't the right man. There's definitely something there, it says a lot about Claire, but it just feels wrong. The book takes things to another level of inappropriate creepiness. Jason attempts to reason with Henry touting the age-old excuse that Claire had been leading him on and he felt he had the right to intercourse with her. Instead of putting this to bed Henry delivers this line she has no idea, it's like torturing a kitten who bit you a line which I took to be him agreeing with Jason. This is the final nail in the coffin, Henry is not a nice person. That is, of course, until he is around Claire, which is definitely an intriguing concept. Only nothing is made of this, he starts out a horrible person who is rude to women and demeans them at every opportunity but even when he has been with Claire he doesn't change. The Henry that appears to deal with Jason is an older Henry and yet he still acts the same as young Henry. Therefore, on the surface to Claire he is a changed individual but to us the reader he never stops being an insufferable arse. I don't understand why because it never adds to the story as Claire never finds out enough to call him out on all his bullshit. Now to return to a lighter note, the next thing I have written in my notes is that the phones in the TV series look very modern for 2005, that's not really a critique just an observation. I've barely scratched the surface of this book, there is still so much more to go. I'm going to speed through some of the less interesting stuff like Claire and Henry's friends Gomez and Charisse. Charisse is a cardboard cutout and Gomez is, like all men in this story, a creepy sex-crazed maniac who lusts after Claire at every possible moment. At Christmas Claire and Henry visit Claire's parents' house. Claire's father has no personality and Claire's mother has some rather serious mental health issues which have nothing to do with the story or even her eventual death from cancer, instead they make her seem aloof and unlikable which means that when she dies, Claire has to care about it, but the reader doesn't believe it. I just don't understand why you would set up a character as a manic depressive and then have her death be from cancer, it just overcomplicates things. The death would have been more poignant had it come because she committed suicide as a result of a number of failed miscarriages, foreshadowing Claire's future, or because Claire didn't visit as often as she did, Claire moves through time linearly so a death from an immovable, often incurable disease like cancer would have been more appropriate for a character like Henry who is always trying to outrun death. After the meal, roast pork, Henry reveals that he is Jewish. I'm not sure why as it's never mentioned again and didn't cause any conflict as he actually ate the whole meal. It's an unnecessary detail that I got caught up on because I spent a long time thinking about how stupid it was to include. Claire's family are odd, none of them really exist outside of the plot. In the TV series the sister uses her hairdressing skills to cut Henry's hair and is never seen again but at least she has a purpose. The film ignores her completely and, in the book, she just stands around and points. After a Christmas with Claire, fraught with arguments about how he doesn't look or act like the Henry she fell in love with, Henry decides to cut his hair in order to appease her. Not a great message to be giving but it does lead to some more hideously awkward writing I reach into Henry's coat pocket. Find his cock and squeeze. Not long after this Claire and Henry decide to get married and so Henry decides to visit his dad and ask him for his mother's wedding ring so he can give it to Claire. His father is a raging alcoholic, 
brought on by the death of Henry's mother in a car crash that in some versions of the story is the catalyst for the first time Henry time travels and in others, the film, his time travel causes the crash. Henry's father never really believed that he could time travel, even after he witnessed the homosexual union of two versions of his son, thanks for showing it twice, Moffat, Henry really needs those rings though and in order to get them he emotionally manipulates his father by explaining that he has seen his mother when he time travels. He doesn't cure the alcoholism, he just gets what he wants and runs, what a lovely guy. The wedding day is by far my favorite sequence, it pulls together the two lies of Henry and Claire and wins fantastical sci-fi with stark reality. It's everything this book was trying to be, and of the three versions only the TV series gets it right. It's been previously established that Henry's time travel is erratic, and it's brought about by stress and anxiety. In order to alleviate this stress, Henry visits a friend of his who makes painkillers, as he really doesn't want to time travel on his wedding day. But things go wrong and Henry, rather predictably, does end up time traveling. In the book the explanation for this is that the painkillers didn't work and as a result the conflict caused by an AWOL Henry feels contrived. In the TV series Moffat uses the drugs to force Henry to time travel, they are so strong that he ends up slipping through a multitude of time periods returning the day after the wedding. This is, I think, a much better reason for conflict, it's caused, if inadvertently, by Henry emphasizing the immovability of time. I will always prefer it when conflict is caused by cause and effect as opposed to chance. Moffat uses this time jumping to tease a second series that will never come, and it shows. The film doesn't even bother to do anything with the drugs, or the panic caused by a missing Henry. It just skips straight to the resolution of the conflict. As you might expect from a time travel concept, a Henry from the future appears just at the opportune moment to marry Claire. This Henry is the 40-year-old that she originally fell in love with, and after a shave and some boot polish he looks almost like the man who disappeared earlier. While this is a fun concept, the problem comes when future Henry starts apologizing for all present Henry's mistakes. Well, you may say, this is the same man he's just wiser and older and has more knowledge of the future and has matured, ever so slightly, and is basically a completely different person. I may have been a little too quick to say that he hasn't matured throughout the story. He does change, he's still a nymphomaniac sex pest but his attitude towards Claire is different and this makes the fact that older Henry apologies for everything younger Henry does feel completely weightless. It's like your twin apologizing on your behalf every time. They might look like you, sound like you but they aren't the same person, and it removes any emotional weight from these apologies. It feels like a different character every time. Playing devil's advocate, I could say that Henry from the future isn't quite the same Henry and that there's something interesting in that, maybe Claire fell in love with a version of Henry she hasn't yet created. That's a really fun idea and there's so many rich layers to be explored within that. But as it is Claire never once has any kind of existential crisis of faith, Henry never stops to ask himself whether his wife may have fallen in love with someone else and these interesting questions are forgotten. After a wedding, the next logical thing is to start trying for a baby, so Claire and Henry begin to try. The novel can offer some profoundly interesting lines amongst the smut and Claire's reasoning for wanting a baby is one of those, she wants a baby to have a reminder of Henry when he's gone. This is even more moving when you remember that Henry's eventual death has been foreshadowed and pretty much confirmed already. The problem with this plan is that Henry's kids will all have the same genetic disease as him, meaning they will time travel too, often straight out of the womb, which means Claire goes through a lot of miscarriages. I can't say I expected to turn the page of a novel I had been struggling through and find a nuanced portrait of a woman suffering such extreme loss. I can't attest to the accuracy of this part of the novel but I did find it moving and handled in a way that showed how damaging this can be for a person, often dehumanizing the mother and the child, Claire refers to the baby as an it once she is on the fourth miscarriage.
The TV show ends just after the fourth miscarriage with Henry announcing that he has had a vasectomy in order to stop Claire going through any more pain. This leaves us with one of the creepiest final lines in any TV show as Claire speaks to a past Henry who is visiting her. She begs him to help her get pregnant, but he refuses saying that he is sterile in the future, and so it would be wrong. To which Claire replies not yet you're not implying she intends to use this younger, more naive Henry to get the child that older, wiser Henry has denied her. It's really odd and very weird and such a bum note for the show to go out on, especially as it hasn't been renewed for series 2. But at least Claire actually asks for a young Henry to do this, in the novel a time-traveling Henry from the past pops up out of nowhere and penetrates her with the present Henry right next to him on the bed. Does consent mean nothing in this weird universe? He doesn't even ask, it's just more kindling for the fire in the condemnation of nymphomaniac sex pest Henry de Campbell. Once Claire becomes pregnant again Henry decides that it would be best to work out how to stop his child being born with his own genetic disease, and so the story shifts focus to discuss the complicated ethics of having a child with a genetic disorder. Except, oh no, it doesn't offer a nuanced and complex look at why maybe we shouldn't mess with genetics it just goes straight ahead and tries to remove any kind of problem. I totally understand why you wouldn't want to give the time travel curse to a young child but the absolute lack of any kind of conversation regarding the other options seems ludicrous. The genome is sequenced within weeks and the gene is isolated and placed into mice, no scientific protocol seems to have been used but maybe peer review wasn't a mandate in 1998? All of this implies that maybe Henry's kid won't have the ability to time travel and their future will be secure. But Henry then travels forward, as he is wont to do sometimes, and runs into Alba the most Stephen Moffat character he's never written. Alba has the ability to time travel which at once adds to the idea that time is immovable, except we meet Alba after the genome has been sequenced so it doesn't serve to add tension, and also renders the entirety of the last 50 pages utterly devoid of any meaning or necessity. You are left feeling as though you have been treading water for the last four chapters and the story would work exactly the same if the whole genome subplot were removed. Especially as it isn't the sequencing that allows Claire to get pregnant it's a completely different set of drugs provided by a totally different doctor. Either combine the numerous doctors into one or use the idea of gene therapy to ask complex questions about selective breeding. Just don't waste my time with a wild goose chase. Most importantly, when Henry meets his daughter in the future, she accidentally lets slip that he dies. Meeting Alba means that Claire's plotline about her miscarriages and an uncertain future is wrapped up neatly, albeit without her input. Finally, Henry has to take accountability, He's the one with real stakes in what's going on and this becomes much less about the time traveler's wife and more about the time traveler. On one trip Henry arrives naked in Central Park, at Christmas. He's left shivering in the snow for several hours and eventually gets frostbite meaning his feet have to be removed at the ankle. All of this happens at a breakneck pace, adding to the sense of fear and anxiety Henry is feeling. When he arrives back in time, he often has to steal clothes or run from the police all of which will be impossible now that he has no feet. We know that he is going to die, Alba told us so, which means that the next few pages are a waiting game, everyone, characters and readers, knows what's going to happen. When it does happen it's not a shock to the reader that an incident in Claire's childhood when her father and brother were out hunting in the woods and shot something or someone that called out her name, was actually Henry's death. However, this is such an important moment in Henry's life and in the whole book that I feel it odd that characters who've had such little impact on Henry's life, who've had the merest fleeting mentions in books so far, who exist to fulfill the role of father and brother and nothing more are the men directly responsible for Henry's death. Wouldn't it mean more if Claire had been out hunting with her father, her first trip perhaps, and she shot wildly into the woods and killed Henry? If you insist on making Claire's family responsible for Henry's death, then at least make them a part of the plot, 
develop a much stronger bond between them. If Henry actually had a meaningful conversation with either of them then the ending might feel more earned. As it is, I don't understand enough about these people to know if the incident was in character, whether they are genuinely horrible people or whether they would be sorry to know that they'd killed a man. In the novel Claire hears someone shout her name, runs to the woods, and is told by her father that nothing is the matter, then she promptly returns to the house. She believes that the man is Henry, we know because the book is written in the first person present tense, and yet she doesn't care enough about the man she's fallen in love with to go out and look for him? Moffat, at least, understood that she wouldn't be so easily subdued and shows her fighting her father to be allowed into the woods to search for him. The film doesn't even try to foreshadow the death, it ends with Henry alone in a field shot down by a hunter we've never seen before. I almost prefer this ending because it doesn't try to tie anything together it shows that death is inevitable and can come from anywhere, that it's not personal. Once Henry is dead Claire is very sad, she is raising a young daughter and grieving his loss. She meets Henry in glimpses as he visits their daughter from the past, a concept that could have been played with slightly more instead of wasting pages at the start of the novel. But not long after Henry's death she has relations with Gomez. Do you remember him? He and Charisse were Henry's best friends, I probably should have brought them up earlier as they are a part of the story. The problem is that Gomez is an incredibly annoying character and while he adds texture there isn't any part of the story that wouldn't be improved by his absence. Anyway, because all the male characters in this book are assholes, Gomez, who has had a crush on Claire since the beginning, takes advantage of Claire's upset and they perform an intimate act. Gomez's wife Charisse puts up with so much and is given a single scene to exist as her own character, completely forgotten and silently awaiting a use throughout the story. She was Claire's roommate before Henry appeared and as soon as that happened, she was shunted to the side. This could show how Henry's presence is all-consuming and Claire doesn't have any room for anyone else. Except for the fact that Claire and Charisse are never left alone, and Gomez is allowed to remain a fully fleshed-out member of the friendship group even when Henry appears. Charisse has the perfect life a husband and three kids, something that Claire wishes to replicate. But there is never a scene in which Claire discusses the life she wants with a woman who has it, never a moment when Claire says to Henry look at Charisse, she's got kids I want some too. Any one of these short scenes would have made Charisse into a character who had a reason to be in the plot. The very last note I have on the novel ends fuck no. And don't worry there's no more pedophilia. It's worse than that. Henry narrates in the first person present tense. He's dead. How is this even possible? The whole novel is written in first person present tense, which is by far my least favorite tense, just below second person present tense, by the way. I have been waiting to talk about it and I couldn't find the right place, but this is as good as any. Narrating a story in first person is fine, it adds immersion, allows a window into the character's mind. No novel can ever be written in first person present tense because it implies that a character has been carrying a notebook with them everywhere, writing their thoughts down at all times. This is especially egregious as Henry can't bring any objects with him. This kind of pedanticism, and the fact that I have a least favorite tense, is precisely why I have very few friends. While it may be a small hill it is one that I will choose to die on any day. It completely removes immersion and reminds you that you are reading a story. I'm sure there are examples of authors using the first person present tense to their advantage and I welcome them. Done with a specific purpose, done well, then I imagine it could be very successful. As yet I have not come across this anywhere in fiction. Prove me wrong. I realize that I haven't really mentioned the film very much, that's because it's truly the worst possible version of this story. It does one thing right in removing any reference to pedophilia and cutting out much of the terrible dialogue, but this doesn't feel deliberate. It feels like a direct consequence of having to shorten a 500-page book down to under two hours. 
nothing is given any time to be explored, the romance, the time travel, having a baby each get the same amount of screen time as the wedding scene. Whole years of character growth fly past in minutes. Charisse and Gomez are included only because they were in the book, the merest glance is all we get. While I'm glad the creepier elements of the novel were removed the romance then ends up falling flat, seeing how the story functions, or more accurately, doesn't, without the meetings in the meadow made me realize that there is a purpose to them. Although I still find Moffat's version in which Claire falls for Henry to be much better, the novel and the TV show tell us that Henry's time travel is uncontrollable, they show us this because he just disappears without warning. The film attempts to romanticize the concept and has Henry fade out slowly. This simple change gives the time travel a totally different meaning, it suggests it could be stopped and it never feels like a curse always a gift. While I'd like to applaud Theo James and Rose Leslie for their performances in the TV show, they're obviously very talented and are doing their very best with some truly awful dialogue, Eric Bana and Rachel McAdams seem to have no idea how to accurately portray Claire and Henry. None of Henry's less commendable traits are visible at all, this is partly down to the writing which doesn't give him the ability to be in scenes where these traits would be exceedingly obvious, but it's an actor's job to read beyond the script, even just a quick flick through the book would have shown that the film Henry is so far from the book Henry that they don't feel like the same character at all. Rachel McAdams isn't much better, she plays Claire like some pixie dream girl devoid of any depth or character. The film is called The Time Traveler's Wife and yet wallpaper in her extravagant house is a more active participant in the story than she is. In all mediums this story is a bad one. It has some intriguing ideas and when I started this three weeks ago, I had hoped to say that maybe it wasn't as bad as I first thought it was. But really digging into it I found that while it has redeeming qualities, they simply aren't good enough to elevate it to being a good idea. The opening pages are just so creepy that they cause a negative bias that permeates the whole of the rest of the novel. Lots of people enjoyed it originally, probably because of the more interesting concepts towards the end. Amongst the next generation of readers, like myself, this book has faded into obscurity, something I'm very grateful for. In my mind, the best adaptation of this story is probably series 5 and 6 of the revived Doctor Who series, which adapts many of the most interesting aspects of this story with the Doctor and Amy Pond. Elements of the Time Traveler's Wife appear in other episodes of the show written by Stephen Moffat, the River Song plotline borrows heavily from this concept. So, if you really want to experience the story watch that instead, Avoid this any of the direct adaptations I've spoken about, like you would Henry de Tamble.